Hello, you cute creatures. I'm Zach, your host of the Auxoro podcast, where music artists, athletes, entrepreneurs, and other interesting human beings dive deep into the story beyond the surface. We are a completely independent platform, and there are a few ways in which you can support this podcast. Number one, you can subscribe, leave a review, and rate us on the iTunes store. This helps us appear higher in searches, which means more people will find out about these conversations. Number two, you can tell a friend, write a blog post, tag us on social media. I promise we will get back to you. And number three, you can slide us some dollar bills with a support link in the description of this podcast. All production, equipment, and travel expenses are paid out of pocket, and a few bucks does go a long way. This time, we sat down with Nomadic Matt, real name Matthew Kepnes, a New York Times bestselling author who traveled the globe for 10 years straight. On this episode, we discuss why Matt does not have a set morning routine, starting conversations with strangers, relationships on the road, maximizing travel time, and his new book, 10 Years a Nomad. Without further ado, here's our wide-ranging, fascinating conversation with Nomadic Matt. Day to day, I, I usually just you know do work, relax, read. I don't have a set day. Like there's no, you know, I wake up, I go to work. Like I have my morning re- coffee. Like every day is different, and like I have no routine. So you're not much of a morning routine guy. Nope. My morning routine is I take a shower and I brush my teeth. What type of things are you reading at the moment? Because I'm I'm always interested to learn what other new information people like to look into. And for myself, I actually, I keep a list and, and try to go through it. Uh, I'm reading a book called Lords of Finance. It's about um, the central bankers after World War One and how they just sort of set up the, mo- the modern economy and dealt with the depression and, or more accurately didn't deal with the depression. Um, so it's a good book on the unintended consequences, you know, uh, and then, um, I'm reading some travel books. So going back to the morning routine, I, I have experimented with some morning routines in the past that have lasted anywhere from, you know, five minutes. If I sit down and, and meditate to ones that are 30, 45 minutes where I'm stretching out or, or doing some sort of yoga. And I, I know in the entrepreneurial world, and obviously you are in that space, the morning routine has such a huge emphasis and people can almost put more emphasis on the actual routines and the mechanism more than the the work that they get done. How has that sort of routine or or mindset or the lack of a morning routine, because you obviously have been traveling all over, you've not been in the same environment consistently. How is your relationship with the way that you wake up in the morning and just going and jumpstarting your day, how has that evolved over the past 10 years? You know, I think everybody is different and you're right in this entrepreneur world. Uh, people really do get like caught up in like, you know, meditating and journaling and all this. Like to me, it's really woo woo. I mean, I don't drink coffee. Like I get up, I can sit down at the computer and I'm like full on right away. 
know, for me, there's, I don't need a wind up period. I don't need to set my day. Like my wind up period is at, at night. I, I read, I watch TV and I like go to bed because that's sort of when I wind down and start thinking about my next day. I've always had the same morning routine. Some days I eat breakfast, some days I don't. Depends on how I feel in the morning. You know, I mean, people can get caught up and maybe they go, I could be more productive if I wake up at 5 a.m. But you know what? I don't want to wake up at 5 a.m. and I don't want to meditate in the morning and I don't want to drink my bulletproof coffee. I'm happy with, with where I am. I have not really, as a background, I, I, I've woken up at 5 a.m. before and I, I've tried to do the early thing. I'm, I'm kind of in that phase right now. And I've also just woken up later and have gone about my day and have had that wind down period at night, but I never really got the whole hustle morning mentality, the the whole entrepreneurship of, it seems like a, like almost like a cultish vibe of waking up in the morning and like getting everything done and going about your day. But it, it, say you don't wake up early and you choose to go about your day, you know, waking up at eight o'clock or 9am, you, you're most likely up later than the people that are waking up at four or 5am. So you can still get the same amount of work done. You can still have a similar level of productivity without waking up at, at absurdly early hours. You, you might be working until midnight on some nights and pass out or 10 o'clock and when other people are going to bed at eight, nine o'clock. So for me, it hasn't really been dependent on the, the time that I wake up. Everyone's different. Like I have friends who work best at night. I, I can't work at night. It's just not, not in me to do. But some people work better at night. Some people work great in the morning. You know, I think... You're right. There is like this cultish vibe to it that I just don't really see the need for. I, I don't get why people have this cultish vibe, um, but you know, people do them. I'm content with waking up late and getting stuff done. You know, I, I wake up at seven. I get into the office. I'm done by like three. That's like my day. Yeah, every everyone's personal. I happen to be in the earlier stage right now. Maybe you know, six months from now, I'm going to be waking up at ten o'clock. Who who the fuck knows? But I, I kind of like the personal experimentation. And so I wanted to dive into your background a little bit. Growing up in what you've described in the past as, as the Northeast kind of workaholic household, I'm interested in in what your relationship was like with work ethic and job-related values before you started traveling on a daily basis, before you got into the nomadic mat portion of your life, because before that you were, you were Matt, what was your relationship like with work ethic and how did you view work ethic before you started traveling? I mean, I've always been sort of a workaholic. So I always had a strong work ethic. I, I rarely ever took sick days. Sometimes I get sick. Like my mom would be like, you can't go to work today. I'm like, but I'm fine. It's just like, a, just, just a minor cold. Like, no. And so I, I've always had that, you know, you do work because that's what you do. You know, that's you're paid a job and that's how it is. And so I've, um, I've always had a strong, strong work ethic. And I don't think travel has really changed that. I think if anything, travel has made me work more because now I'm actually enjoying what I do rather than just be at a job I, I hate. Yeah, you see that that dichotomy a lot, especially in New York City. You can tell if someone loves what they do by meeting them in the first, you know, five seconds, five minutes 
of talking to them. Personally, for me, I, I'm in the transition phase. I'm working a full-time job still in New York City, but I'm slowly starting to monetize the, the podcast and website content to the point where I can, can step away. But even though I'm, I'm still working full-time, I, there is a certain purpose that I feel with the, with the podcasting and creating content that I don't necessarily feel at my full-time job. I don't hate it. It, it's, it allows me to pay the bills. But I think having that purpose is what gives you that extra drive to work beyond people that kind of just see their jobs as this way to keep moving forward through life, even though they aren't really sure of their direction. There's all this stuff about, you know, finding your passion, but um, you'll quit your job and follow your passion. I think it's all BS. You don't find your passion. Sorry, you don't. You find your passion, right? You stumble into it. Mm -hmm. You know, you like this podcast, right? Yeah, I love it. I like blogging. I, I kept doing it. I ended up getting good at it. The more I good I got at it, the more I liked doing it. And it just became this reinforcing system. And so when you are enjoying what you do, you get excited about it. You want to do it. It's not, you know, it's just, you know what they say, you know, find a job you love and you'll never work a day again in your life. Because mm-hmm. does not work. It is, it's just it's purpose. So I think that this website was purpose for me. You know, the, the podcast could be purpose mm-hmm. for you. And when you find that purpose, that's all you want to do. I don't mind working 60 hour weeks. If I have to, I'm, I'm all in. I love what I do. So you were, when you first started the blog, obviously you were creating the content for free as, as value for other people. You weren't getting paid at the onset. No, no, I wasn't. That seems like a common factor from people that I've spoken with in the music industry or whether they're, you know, everyone's kind of an entrepreneur in their, in their own way. And in, in the creative industry, at least some of the people that I've spoken to, to different levels, but whether it's been music or real estate or another avenue, it seems like a common thread is that the people that are getting paid at what they love to do now are willing to go through a period to work for free and just provide value to other people for free. They might've been working another job at the time. They might have been you know, couch surfing or something like that. But it, it seems like that drive to just put value out in the world and just be unapolog- unapologetically yourself and just say, fuck it, like, I'm going to do this. Whoever reads it, if I get paid for this or not, I'm, I'm still going to continue doing it. it. It seems like that's, that's something that can lead to success later on and, and something that you've obviously tapped into. Well, I think this goes back to what I was just saying about stumbling into your passion, right? I mean, I love cooking, but I'm not really sure I want to open a restaurant. I didn't know if I liked this. You know, I, I had a job while I started my blog. I taught English when I was traveling. I think many people have, this is like the side hustle when they start and it just happens to mm-hmm. turn into the main hustle when you start, you know, making money and, and enjoying it more. Don't quit your day job to follow your passion until your passion can pay all the bills. Um, and mm. I think many people are like, I'm going to go all in and they get disappointed because I really care about making money because this was just a hobby. Uh, and I think when you have, when you start this with the need to make money, the pressures are a lot greater, right? You have to pay the bills. So you're willing to just kind of take anything 
that pays the bills. And then you get on this really vicious cycle of just doing like anything for money. That stuff is usually pretty time consuming. Thus, uh, you can never focus on building the content and building the platform that will eventually make self-sustaining money without you always having to like use your time. What was the the buildup like for you before you started the the website Nomadic Matt and and before you went all in on that? Because I, I was reading that you had done things related to Google Google ads and creating uh, websites for to drive traffic to dogs and, and beagles and things like that. And you mentioned teaching English. What were some of the the experiences or, or conversations or, or pivotal moments that made you realize or set the stage for you realizing that you wanted to go all in on nomadic Matt and just, just focus your energy on that. I don't really say there was a, a pivotal moment. I think, as I said, you just, most people I know stumble into this, right? Day by day goes by and suddenly you're making money. You're enjoying what you do. And you're like, cool. And then you're like, well, I'm actually making a good amount of money from this. I, and I love this more than my job. And I could quit my job and still pay the bills with the money I'm, I'm bringing in from the website. So let's do that. I taught English and tried to do all sorts of uh, weird internet marketing, scammy stuff, you know, building AdSense websites. And, you know, I was like, I don't like this. And my friend was like, well, if you like the blog, just do the blog and see if that work takes. So I got rid of all those other websites and just focus on Nomadic Matt. And, you know, I kept building it up. And by you know, a year and a half later, I, w- I was making enough money from it where I could, this is going to be rich, but I could afford to travel. And that was the goal. And so I just traveled and worked on the blog and revenue kept going up. And I was like, well, I guess I'm doing this full time now. How old were you when you quit the job that you had Back in America, I was reading that it was a, sort of a, an administration or, or a hospital administration job. How old were you when you stepped away from that? 24. And then what, what was the period like after you quit the hospital administration job? And when you finally left for good, or not for good, but for 10 years, what, what was going on in that gap of time? What, what was that? And how long was that? between quitting the job and leaving? Uh, That was about 18 months. You know, I was finishing a graduate degree. uh, So I wanted to get that done because I had the idea that I would come back and, you know, and start a nine to five. So I I was like, okay, I I want to get the degree done now so I can just hit the ground and running when I return home. So, you know, I quit quit my job early 2005. I stayed another six months while I found a replacement. And then I went to school full time and I did like, shift work you know i still work but i didn't have like mm-hmm. a full-time job it was like like, like temp yeah. temp stuff yeah like uh I, I still worked at the hospital but like as like a floating you know assistant like somebody called me sick i would go work and so i just took as many shifts as possible to keep earning money but my goal was to to finish my degree and then my i graduated in may uh 2006 and then i went off in july during this time was was this the Costa Rica trip that you've spoken about in the past or, or was that before this 18 month period? That was before that I took that trip in 2004. 
That was the first time I had really gone overseas. It sounds like that was sort of a catalyst for what ended up transpiring after the experiences that you had after looking back on that trip to Costa Rica. What do you, what do you think it was about your, either your thinking processes or or experiences going on at the time that made you, I don't, I don't want to say fall in love with travel because you could have loved travel before that, but kind of put you in the direction of taking action and getting the gears in place to be able to travel full time and, and eventually make a living off of it. You know, again, I really want to stress that like, this was never, I didn't, there there was no intention of doing any of this. I never set out to travel full time. I never set out to make a living off this. You know, I went to Costa Rica. Uh, I fell in love with travel. That was the first time I ever taken a vacation, like by myself without my parents. And I loved how unplanned every day was. It was in sharp contrast to the nine to five life we have here in the States. And so I just really fell in love with travel. I understood why people talk with, about travel with such reverence, why everyone looked forward to vacation and going to travel and getting out of their routines. It was exciting, you know, getting to do whatever you wanted any day you wanted. And so all I wanted to do was travel more. And I, when I went to Thailand the following year in 2005, that trip inspired me to quit my job because I met backpackers. And it was in meeting those backpackers that, you know, I found the answer to the question I had been asking since Costa Rica was, how can I travel more? without spending a lot of money. Backpacking was the answer to that. And I knew I wasn't going to work in healthcare. I was already in school. So I thought, this is great. I will finish my degree, leave this job I don't like, travel, backpack around the world and live this amazing life. Uh, and then, you know, start the real world thing. And then came back home after 18 months, was like, I don't want to do this. I'm going to go back traveling. And I went traveling again. And then one day just led to the other. And I just found like, all right, well, I guess I'm doing this full time. Like there was no intention. And, and with so many of my entrepreneur friends who started blogs, there was never an intention. It was just like, oh, look at this. People are reading and I'm making money. I guess I'll do this. Actually, I really like doing this. So I'm going to continue to do it. It kind of just it keeps the ball rolling and creating content and not... Because once you have an intention or you you have an overall goal in mind, say, which it wasn't for you, but say you had made the goal for yourself 10 years ago, I'm going to make a living by traveling full time and creating content for a blog and ultimately write books, create courses, do all of these things that sets you on a track. And then you start making decisions that are, that are based on that track and you're working towards that ultimate goal. And you may kind of have this sort of tunnel vision where things that take you off that track, even if they might be beneficial experiences or things that are helpful in the long run, or maybe they have nothing to do with that goal, but they're just fun. It's just fun shit to do. You may say no to that and kind of lock yourself out, which, you know, some of my friends do. I've been guilty of that sometimes when I'm trying to put myself in a position to monetize the the podcast. You you sometimes you have to take a step back and just say like I love doing this and there are a bunch of ways to do it and I'm not going to necessarily lock myself into to one path. There's no right way to live. You know, everyone 
is different. Everyone gets, everyone has their own path and you just got to follow it where it leads. And it's going to end, end up taking you to places you never expected. You know, I never expected this life I, I live now. And um, I don't regret anything. I'm, I'm enjoying my life. And I think if you, if you ask yourself the question, are you happy with your life? And the answer is yes, you're in the right place. Mm-hmm. The answer is no, you got to think, what can I do to become happy with my life? I don't think we ask ourselves that question enough. Are we happy? Are you happy with your life? Yeah. We mindlessly just for all the talk that humans, you know, oh, they can they can see the future. We still mindlessly go through day by day, just going through like our routine and the motions, never really thinking about like what do I, what is the big picture, and what do I really want? And because it's when you look at the big picture and what you really want, you start thinking about goals and how to reach those goals, and then you can say okay, yeah, I am happy with my life. I'm, I'm on the path I want to be on. Something that surprised me, I, I went to, I, I left the country for the first time by myself about two, three months ago to, to Iceland. I'm 25. So I, I traveled within the United States by myself to go snowboarding, things like that. But the first time I left the country was on my own, was to go to Iceland. And, and I was surprised at how many of my close friends and family were like, you're going to go by yourself. And, and almost in like a weird way, like there was like, the fact that I wanted to travel by myself meant that I was odd or I, I don't know. But I just, I loved the idea of going to another place and kind of experiencing another place and, and kind of having 60 to 70% of my schedule planned. And then the other 20 to 30% walk around, see what's up, go grab drinks at bars to whatever, kind of like fall into different places and try to find people that want to do fun things. To me, it, it seemed like I was growing constantly. Like I was in like the constant stage of growth where I was going through so many experiences at like this hyper pace. And then when I got back to America, I felt like I was dying behind my desk, like in, in some sense, because the, the experiences are so much more similar. Not that it's bad. Like it, it can be good to have routines and go through similar things on a daily basis. But I just felt like I was growing so much more leaving on my own. And I, I was surprised how many of my friends weren't as open to the idea of just picking a place and, and going by themselves. Because I, I think it's been one of the more eye-opening experiences that I've had. It's it's still very uncommon for people just to like pick up and go. And I, and I you know, I try to tell people it's going to be okay you know, because it's when you like pick up and go and you, and you leave this routine and you put yourself in a comfortable situation, you really start to grow as a person. When you're in your comfort zone, you're never challenging yourself physically, mentally, emotionally. And so you don't really know what you're capable of. So like your friends were like, I don't know, man, I don't really want to go. Like there's a lot of fear. I wasn't inviting them with me. I was just like, yeah, I'm going to go to to Iceland. I'm going to go by myself. And they were kind of they were kind of iffy about it, but I, I thought they would just be like, oh yeah, like fuck yeah, like go to Iceland, whatever. And and they ended up, once I came back and told them how great it was, then they kind of saw the different side of it. But going into it, I was surprised at least how many other people I've ran into that are like, oh my God, that's such an accomplishment. Like you went to another country by yourself. Yeah. Well, I mean, we don't have a travel culture in the States. You know, it's, we're a very extroverted country. So the idea of do, doing something alone is weird. 
whether you're going to go travel or see a movie or go out to dinner. It's like, why are you doing that by yourself? And when people are like, why are you going to the movies by yourself? I'm like, well, it's not like I'm going to talk to you during the movie. So who cares? And we just don't have that kind of culture in the state. So like traveling to a, like, okay, a movie's weird enough, but traveling to Iceland alone, it's crazy. And all because not a lot of people do it, you know, it's easy to think a lot of people travel when you live and travel and you live in entrepreneurship When you live in those kind of worlds, you know, lots of people do this stuff, but to your average American, it is still really weird to pick up and, and quit your job and travel the world. It's really weird to go travel alone. And so I, you know, because not many, a lot of people do it. We don't really have a frame of reference to say, Oh, that's, that's a safe thing to do. That's fine. You know, the way like other cultures who have gap years and, and all of these, you know, take time off to travel do. How do you get past judging yourself when you travel? Cause that's something I, I struggle with. I, I struggle with a little bit when I went to Iceland, you know, if you miss a bus or something, or if you, you know, get swindled by a, a tour guide or something like that, how do you keep things in perspective? Because I'm sure, you know, traveling for a decade constantly, there are things that you could easily judge yourself for and let it leak over into your other experiences. How do you deal with that? Is that something I really think of? I don't really judge myself. I just, you know, I think as you get older, you learn to accept yourself for all your flaws. So I don't judge myself in any way. And I never, if I make a mistake, I say, oh shit, I won't do that next time. There's no like inner person being like, you can't do this or why'd you do that? When you travel, you learn to, that you can do a lot more than you think. And I think old me, pre-travel me would have judged, you know, and worried, not so much judged himself, but worried about what people would think. New me doesn't give a shit. Plus I'm old, you know, when you get, when you get into your late thirties, like you really start to stop caring about what people think. You're older. I wouldn't say you're old. I wouldn't even say older. Late thirties is nothing compared to what people are doing today. You have people that are active into their seventies, eighties, you know, I, I see videos sometimes of like a 90 year old dude fucking skiing in the Alps or something. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like if I'm doing that at, at 35, I'll be lucky. Well, what I, what I mean by the fact that I'm old is I am mature. I am like, I've, I've matured enough to not care what people think. And I've matured, matured enough to not be harsh and judge myself. Did you find it difficult to get into the mindset of talking to strangers on a consistent basis when you, you know, first put yourself out there? Because if, if you don't do that, then you're probably going to have a really shitty time traveling. Looking back at your 25, 26 year old self, were you, in what ways were you different communicating with people back then that you don't have now? You have to, when you travel, it's sink or swim. You, know, you have to talk to people. There's just no way around it. But Everybody else is like you. They're alone. They don't have a support system and they want to make friends too. So even if you're afraid to meet people, somebody in the hostel is going to ask you to join. You know, somebody in your dorm room is going to be like, oh, hey, like, what you, I'm going to go do this thing. Do you want to come? And you'll eventually say yes because you'll eventually want human interaction. I think that when a lot of people travel, kind of the, the gold mine to hit is 
is meeting someone that is a window into the city, a, a local person that can kind of join you up with their friends and you meet a network of other people through meet sometimes even a single person. And then you end up expanding your network and have a good time for a day or a week or, or however long you're there. Is there a, a specific time or a standout time? Cause I'm sure you've had so many of those types of experiences, but something looking back that stands out where you, you know, maybe stumbled across someone by chance, grabbed a drink with someone, and then they ended up being from the area and you you kind of just like spread your roots and met a shit ton of other people because of that one small interaction. I mean, that's happened countless, t- countless times. You know, I mean, when you slow down your travels and you give yourself time to meet people and just see where the wind takes you, you, you end up doing so. I mean, that, it's happened to me in Amsterdam, that happened to me in Taiwan, happened to me in Australia, Bangkok. I mean, it just, you know... If you had to choose one to kind of walk people through what happened, which one would you want to look back on? If I had to choose one, I would say that it would probably be Amsterdam. I was playing poker in a casino. and just take a break. I like to play poker. And I met this guy, and Leonard. He was this young kid, and you know we got along, and... You know, we became sort of my Sherpa through Dutch culture. Man, all his friends ended up crashing this coach as saved money from being in a hostel. And I met other, I met all his friends. I met other poker players. And so it was really just, you know, because I was just doing this one normal person activity, there was no tourists around. Uh, you know, they were like, we, how'd you find this like casino? And I was like, oh, Google but I wanted to play because most travelers don't play poker. And I ended up bringing him into like the travel world. Like I played tour guide for him in Amsterdam. Oh, nice. He's like, you know, he, he never done. Did you charge him? No. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he never had done that stuff because most people don't play tourists in their own backyard. Nobody goes to hang out in the Statue of Liberty or, or see the museums or, you know, ghosts. Rarely see the show. No, nobody. Why? Because like they're busy leading their life. It's also looked down upon too. If you if you go to a touristy spot, like say just for the fuck of it, you wanted to go to the Statue of Liberty or you know walk the Brooklyn Bridge or something like that, people that live in New York will be like, oh, only like only tourists do that. And like it's true, you know, it's it, there are these hot destinations that are crowded with a shit ton of people. But I think you're right. Sometimes it might be advantageous to treat your own city like you've never been there before in a sense and just go out and explore and just see what's going on maybe you know go go on airbnb and look for someone hosting an event or something like that or there's so many different people that are curating experiences that if you were in another country you would probably look to do but because you're in your hometown you kind of assume that you've seen all you have to see i agree with you you know I, i think you hit the nail on the head when I was in Iceland back in June, one of the things that I was judging myself before, I guess I was, I was thinking back on it. I was supposed to go on a, an early tour on a, I think it was Sunday was the day, like Sunday, like 7am this bus left. And I ended up getting a drink the night before with this dude from Denmark. And then the bartender from that bar saw him out at the next one. And then he brought me in with his group of friends. And long story short, we ended up, spending the night with each other till like 
5 a.m. And I, and I also lost track of time because the sun never goes down in Iceland over the summer. So I'm not checking my phone and we're drinking on a rooftop and I'm thinking it's like 11.30 and it's 3.30 a.m. So I had no idea. And then, so things finally wind down. And I look at my phone, I'm walking back into the Airbnb and it's like 6.05. And I'm just like, if I go on this tour on no sleep, it's going to be fucking terrible. I'm not going to enjoy it. And then I woke up and I was super fucking pissed at myself. I was like, you're a fucking idiot. Like you just went out drinking the whole night and you missed it. And now you fucked up your trip to Iceland and like all this shit was in my head. And then I kind of just took a second to think like, you know what? I'm in Iceland. I just spent a night with, you know, a group of 10 locals going bar hopping. That was one of the craziest experiences of my life. Probably might never get to do that again. What the fuck am I pissing myself for? So I kind of just went on Airbnb, looked to see what there was to do around and ended up going horseback riding through the countryside later that afternoon for like four or five hours, got invited to dinner, got some free food, free drinks, met this great family and ended up being a hell of a day. And I guess all that's to say that it, it kind of changed my perspective coming back into the city a little bit where it made me want to look around and see, you know, go on Airbnb or talk to people, see what cool events they're doing more than I was in the past. Yeah. Kind of just, you know, like chalk it up and go to a bar and hang out with my friends and which is fine, but I kind of wanted something different after that experience. And so the past like month or so, I've been trying to go to more events and, and do like some cultural things in New York that you really can't do when you're anywhere else. And to go back to uh, that original Iceland story, I, I think it kind of came from that where I just realized you can kind of be a tourist in your own city and do it on a whim. You can just find an event in two seconds and go to it. Yeah, there's always something to do. I mean, you live in New York. There's a million things to do every second of every day. And I think, you know, one of the things people can do when they come back is start to look at their city in the eyes of a tourist. What can you do that you haven't done before? To me, travel is about just doing something different uh, and exploring some unknown. And that doesn't have to be in a plane. You know, that doesn't have to be a trip you, you fly halfway around the world to. That can just be in your hometown or in your home state. You know, I mean, there's always something around. You just have to sort of broaden your definition as to what travel is. Yeah, the travel hangover is real, too. Just besides the actual hangover, it depends how much partying you do when you're gone. but kind of the feeling like you're just back and sluggish and not in the same mindset is is a real thing so when you do come back and you and you look for other things to do in your city i think that is a way to kind of bring out that traveler vibe in yourself that that mindset without actually having to to go too far completely agree so how do you approach your plan time versus the un, unplanned time. How, how many things, if you're, if you're going off for an extended period of time to another country or group of countries, how, what percentage of your day do you look to plan or how many things will you look to do during a day that you absolutely have to hit or, or think you want to hit versus just kind of wandering around and seeing what's up? I don't really plan too much. I like planning before I go. I buy a guidebook. I do some research. I, I get involved. Uh, but when I go, you know, I, I usually walk out the door with like one or two things I want to see that day. And then I just sort of let the rest of the day fill in. When you're racing from attraction to attraction, that's when 
you sort of lose the magic of travel, the serendipity that happens when you just sort of meet some locals and, you know, go have some fun in Iceland without thinking, sorry guys, I can't do this. I have to wake up in the morning, do your morning ritual, right? Yeah, exactly. I just sort of leave the, the day to fill in itself. And, and then, you know, you linger in a museum, you know, you find a cafe that looks cool. So you go into that, you're like, oh, look, there's a cool bookshop where you just sit in the park and read and, you know, just people watch. You know, there's no, there's no pressure. You can just relax. And that's when you really get to enjoy travel. How do you handle relationships when you're going to a bunch of different places and you, and you never really have a home base? And I, I'm also asking out of my own selfishness because I am 25, I'm single. I've been in one semi-serious relationship, but I think that a lot of, I don't know, if, if you're not in it for the long-term relationship, it seems like that can be demonized in a way. Even if you don't have an ulterior motive, people just think, you know, you just want to use this person or sleep with this person or, or, you know, you're not in it for the right reasons. And I'm not saying I wasn't kind of in that mindset, like the notch in the belt mindset earlier in my life, like in college, I definitely had a little bit of that, but I do genuinely enjoy meeting people, even if it's only for short periods of time, say, say we're, I'm just intensely involved in someone else's life for, you know, a week or, or five, six weeks, something like that. Even if it doesn't have the, the happy romanticized ending of, you know, getting married and, and staying together till you die. I don't think it takes away from it. Like in, in the moment, it's a, it's a very solid, wholesome experience. So I was just wondering, you know, what, what is your view on relationships and kind of like the romantic aspect of that? Cause that has to be something that, that comes into play. You have a lot of five hour friends when you travel. Um, you're in people's lives for a very short and intense time. And that's part of the fun of it. But as a traveler, you also get really good at saying goodbye. And that's sort of the downside of it. When it comes to romance, relationships do happen. They're just intense as friendships. But, you know, for them to last longer, eventually someone needs to, to stay, right? Like if you are traveling with someone, their plan is to go back home. If you want that relationship to continue, you have to make that, you know, you make that decision. You know, the number of relationships fail because... I wasn't ready to make that decision or they weren't ready to make that decision. You know, and timing is everything. Yeah, I definitely went through some of that on Iceland and other places I've been to in the U.S. where you're with someone for a day or two and you kind of go through this phase of just hyper emotions where you're getting to know each other on a very quick basis, much more than, you know, let's grab a drink next weekend and then five days will go by. And then like the week after that, you'll grab dinner that just doesn't happen when you're traveling for a short period of time. You, you share so much shit about each other in the moment and you can develop feelings for someone. And then, you know, 24 hours later, we've just been on this roller coaster and I, and you've probably, you've definitely done this many more times than me, but in the back of my head, I'm just like, damn, like what if I just stayed here for like another day or another week, but then like, you know, you have to go to your next spot or you, you have to go home. So kind of sucks sometimes, but it, I think it makes it even more worthwhile knowing that it has to come to an end at some point. When you're 
meeting a friend, even like a new person in your life or relationship. Like, like you said, you know, it's like, Oh, let's meet next week. There is no next week when you travel, you have to hang out right then and there. And so time gets really compressed. Over the, the 10 years when you were away from home for that long period of time, were there any darker moments or anxious periods where you wanted to essentially just give up and go home and kind of cash in, go back to a normal job? And if so, how did you get through that and kind of reset and stay in the moment and like keep, keep doing what you love to do? With, with blogging? Yeah, blogging and and traveling too, because obviously one one for you is tied to the other. Are there any periods where you you kind of went through intense self doubt or a darker time where you you know you just weren't sure of yourself and how you got through that? For example, podcasting. There, I, like I I love it. I'm going to keep doing it, but at some points that I go through maybe like a a little phase or like an intense swing where. I can kind of just be like, you know, fuck podcasting. Like, you know, it's not worth it for like a split second. And then I remember why I love to do it and just kept going. Is there, is there any sort of period that you went through over the past 10 years where you thought about giving up or, or doubted what you were doing and saw everyone else doing something different and felt drawn to that? Or have you always been kind of solid in, in your foundation and never really had the the self-doubt moment, essentially like doubting the, your purpose. Everyone has self-doubt, man. Whether you're an accountant, a teacher, a nurse, an entrepreneur, like at one point you will hate your job. That's why people take vacations because they need an outlet. They need stress reliever. So there are always moments where I just want to like throw my computer against the wall and say, fuck it and move to a region Thailand. Everyone goes through that. That's just a natural part of life. You know, you're always at some point going to hate your job just because like stress builds up and tension builds up. But that doesn't mean like you hate it and you never want to do it again. That just means at that moment in time, you just like need to take a break. It's not a, a wellspring, an endless wellspring. It's a battery that needs to be recharged. Everything in life is a battery that needs to be recharged. When you do have those moments where you want to smash your laptop against the wall or you need to recharge, what are your go-to ways to relax and kind of get your mind off shit? I go to the movies, read a book, I sleep. I go out with my friends. I take just time off from work, go to the gym. Anything you can do to get your mind Stop thinking about it for a little while. You know, everyone needs a break. Your mind needs to like let the work settle. That's why people have weekends. Weekend weekends are nice. You were saying the the whole the endless fountain, kind of like the the endless spring. I think that's something that I caught myself thinking about when when someone is from the outside looking on what you do. They may have the tendency. And I, I know I did it first before I started, you know, looking into what you've written and other interviews you've been on. And it seems like it could be easy to think that you just have this, you know, endless just drive and, and desire and you're traveling the world and, you know, you should be happy. Like you're in a fucking place that no one gets to go. Mo most people get to go during their lives. And, you know, if you 
if you if you waste a day or you do nothing for a day or kind of just like chill out and read, you're you're wasting your time. But I think like you're saying, everyone burns out at some point. It doesn't matter if you're traveling, it doesn't matter if you're blogging or real estate, podcasting, whatever. It's you know, sometimes it shit just sucks and you need to take a step back. I'm still, I'm still learning to do that. Sometimes I try to like force myself. Like, I think the answer is to work through it. Like, oh, you hate work. You hate doing the work because you're not doing it enough. And then like that ends up making me more burnt out. So I'm getting, I'm trying to get better at realizing when that buildup is too much and just take a step back and, you know, go for a walk or fucking go hang out, do whatever, watch a movie, read a book. Some, some things that you've said you've done as well. Yeah. You always got to take time off, man. Everyone needs a break. You work best, like, you got to give your mind space to just relax. I have a couple quick questions to wrap up. Yeah, yeah. The first one is, if you could go back in time to your 25-year-old self and give yourself one piece of wisdom or a mindset, something that you did not possess at the time, a piece of knowledge, something that you have now, what would you want to gift yourself? Uh, I'd probably want to just tell myself to not care what people think so much. I would say, don't worry. People are less concerned with what you're doing than you think they are. I was always worried about what people would think in appearances. And I would just tell them, like, people don't care. They're caught up in their own lives. You can do whatever you want. No one's judging you. Yeah, that's, uh, it can get overwhelming sometimes. Some, something I'm, I don't think I'll ever stop working on. The last question I have for you is if you had to give a TED talk on one topic besides your job any, or anything related to your job, what topic would you want to give a TED talk on? Has to be related to my job? Okay. Uh, no, it, it, can't, it can't be related to your job. It can't be related to my job. Oh, okay. Why people vote against their own economic interests. That's a good one. Voter psychology. Yeah. I think we could all look into that a little bit more. I'm looking forward to that TED talk. If I, if I knew a guy at TED, I would, Thanks. I would put in a good word for you. Thank you so much for listening to this wide ranging conversation with Nomadic Matt. His new book, 10 Years a Nomad, A Traveler's Journey Home is out now wherever you shop books. This link will also be in the description of this podcast. Also, if you could please take 15 seconds to subscribe, rate, and comment on this podcast in the iTunes store. It helps more listeners like you find out about us. We are a completely independent platform and we rely on people like you to help spread the word. So thank you for inspiring us to keep doing what we love to do, which is to bring the biggest and best conversations to you. Until next time.